According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, we're looking at verses 17 and following. Verses 17 and following takes us into a new section within Proverbs, although depending on which English Bible you're reading, you may not have a uh, a paragraph break there or a pericope heading. Um, many of the Bibles, though, do have a pericope heading there that says the sayings of the wise. And, uh, and I think that's, a, that's not a bad heading to take because verse 17 says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and uh, apply your mind to my knowledge. And what follows then, after we have a few verses of an introduction, uh, from 17 through 21 we have verses that introduce the section and then following that with verses 22 and following we do have sayings of the wise. In fact we have 30 sayings that, uh, that we'll be outlining for you as we work our way through the rest of chapter 22, all of chapter 23 and much of chapter 24 uh, takes you through the sayings of the wise. And then if you take another peek down in uh, chapter 24, we find that these also are the sayings of the wise. When you get to uh, 24, 23, these also are the sayings of the wise. And so there should be a, a pericope heading there as well, a, a paragraph break and a little blurb to alert you to the fact that uh, the final section of chapter 24 from verse 23 down to verse 34 at the end of the chapter, that that is its own independent collection that got canonized at that point in what we call canonical Proverbs. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that some more and uh, the different headings that we have in different places, chapter 25 and verse 1, chapter 30, chapter 31, all of those things we have coming up. But before we get started today, let's take a moment for silent prayer and humble our hearts under the authority of the Word of God, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in your faithfulness to bless our time of study. Father, we thank you that the living and abiding Word of God is not earthly material, it's not temporal, it's entirely spiritual, and we thank you for that. We call upon your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to open our ears, and to soften our hearts. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Proverbs uh, 22.17 then. These all, uh, let me get back to 22.17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. This requires an attitudinal adjustment and then the, the disciplined obedience to hear and to listen and then to apply your mind. To not just listen and take it or leave it but to apply your, your mind and literally your heart to set your heart on these things. As the Word of God goes forth, this is where we should be hiding the Word of God in our heart and transforming our very being with the living and abiding Word of God. Let me um, advance our slideshow. We've covered a lot. As you can see, if you look at every slide from this chapter, we've covered quite a bit already. We'll just pick it up here. Point four in the outline, the words of the wise begin in 2217 and run nearly to the conclusion of, of this section. Remember, we've kind of broken down Proverbs into three overall divisions. Chapters 1 through 9 we titled Parental Wisdom. Chapters 10 through 24 we've titled 
personal and public wisdom. And that's what we've been dealing with ever since we hit chapter 10 and verse 1. And that gets us to the end of chapter 24. And then chapters 25 and following is what we've called additional wisdom. And uh, we'll give headings for that when we get to that point. But those are the additional collections that were canonized after Solomon's lifetime, uh, such as in the days of Hezekiah or uh, the words of Augur or the words of Lemuel. Those, those particular elements were canonized, in other words, added to the canonical uh, book of Proverbs as we know it today after Solomon's lifetime. And uh, further discussions there we can go into it at some point I think we'll introduce chapter 25 with much of this and we'll certainly have to address chapter 30 and chapter 31 with the the, the studies and the conclusions that I'm not yet ready to, to settle my mind on yet, um, although I'm pretty close, related to chapter 30 and chapter 31. Who are these guys and how did this get in the canon and, and how does this impact our doctrine of inspiration or our doctrine of canonicity? It doesn't thwart it at all. In fact it's a benefit to our studies on, on inspiration and canonicity. But this is what we have here starting today is with the words of the wise. And these are collections and we're going to give the background on this. Solomon collected these and, and some of them are things he didn't author but he collected and he approved of them and then he applied his own knowledge to them uh, in, the, in the process of recording them here. And so that will become a, an element as well. Um, I believe it was a couple weeks ago that we looked at this. Let me go ahead and, and look at this again. The Bible Knowledge Commentary has a nice summary for this section. And uh, I don't mind rereading that. We have had a couple weeks off now with my vacation and whatnot. So let me go ahead and open this up then to the BKC. That's the universal abbreviation for Bible Knowledge Commentary. And we'll open it up there. And the heading here, this section falls into two parts. The first part from 2217 to 2422 is, in, is introduced as the sayings of the wise. And then the second part is introduced by the statement, these also are the sayings of the wise. Okay, so Those are your clues in the text. And they're the markers that the text itself gives you that these portions have to be handled in a certain way. In style, this section includes at least 20 instances in which two verses express a complete thought rather than the single verse we've been very accustomed to. We've been very used to single verse Proverbs uh, this whole time. We've been very used to single verse Proverbs with an A and a B in each verse. And we've learned to appreciate the poetry of that with the A and B part of every verse either being synthetic or being antithetical or being parallel or having different, uh, different formats to them. We've got to kind of grow beyond that now for this section because now in this section we're going to have pairings of verses whereby there's a, you can think of it as an A, B, C, and D if you will. Or just think of one verse and the next verse as units and handle those and make each verse an A and a B if that makes any sense to you. Alright, so uh, in any event, in style this section includes at least 20 instances in which two verses express a complete thought rather than the single verse that we've grown accustomed to. Also seven verses have three lines rather than the normal two lines. Okay? Ooh, break out. Proverbs going liberal now. <laughs> okay? Um, and that's the thing. We, we relax about this. Alright? If we're accustomed to an A and a B and then all of a sudden we come across an A, B, and a C, great. That's part of the variety. That's part of the 
um, the uh, the blessings of uh, poetry or the blessings of of any creative composition, musical composition or whatnot. Change things up every now and then, and and uh, and see what happens. There's two verses that each have four lines. We also have the phrase "my son." that occurs five times in this section. This was an expression that we were very accustomed to in the first nine chapters. In fact, it was characteristic of the first nine chapters. That's why we titled, that's why I titled those first nine chapters Parental Wisdom. Because you could just see the the, the father and the mother pouring their hearts out to the, to the next generation to walk with wisdom. Um, and then really from chapter 10 onwards it's been almost non-existent. There was only a single occurrence, a, a random sighting of a my son expression in verses 10, in chapters 10 through 24. But my son does occur five times here in, uh, in this. Alright. Yeah. I should just read what it says here. My son occurs five times whereas it occurred 15 times in chapters 1 through 9 and only once in uh, chapters 10 through 22. And twice it's going to only happen two more times for the rest of the book. Once in chapter 27 and once in chapter 31. We also have the expression a wise son that occurs once uh, in, uh, compared with five times in chapters 10 through 22. Many of the sayings are warnings. This is also going to jump out at you uh, with the do not prohibitions. Many of these sayings are warnings using the words do not. In fact, very early here in, in 22.22, do not rob the poor because he is poor. That's uh, right, out, right out of the gate. The first of the 30 sayings begins with a do not statement. Interestingly, each of the 30 sayings includes a reason for the warning or other advice, and several of the sayings include reasons. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of reasons. Um, the, the, the reasons in, in the first 22 chapters are all pretty much, Doug, the reasons in those first 22 chapters are pretty much uh, self-explanatory. When it says, lean not on your own understanding, uh, it doesn't tell you why. It just says, trust in the Lord, you know. Um, but here we're going to start noticing explanations will start being given. And so we'll appreciate that. Um, the sayings in 2217 through 2434 were written by wise men other than Solomon. And we're going to learn who they are, we're going to, or who they were. We'll at least learn their names. We don't know a whole lot about them. Um, but collected by other wise men besides him, and, uh, and he collected them and recorded them for us here. Um, compiled either in his lifetime or later. I think they were compiled in his lifetime. I'm going to make that case. We're going to discuss who uh, the My Son is when uh, we, we find those exhortations listed here. Uh, in fact, early on in verses 17 through 21, in verse 20 where he says, or verse 19, I have taught you today even you. Well, who's the even you there? And uh, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you or those who sent you as it's plural in that regard. Um, there's a debate in verse 20 where it says, have I not written to you excellent things? Um, first of all, these verses, these five verses we're, we're looking at from 17 through 21, tons of puzzles, tons of manuscript 
issues, tons of translation issues, and, and all very old. So much so that the Septuagint struggled, so much so that, that other ancient translations struggled. The uh, Targums and the Aramaic commentaries, we've got tons, and there's Kathiv and Kare readings here in the Hebrew itself, and in all likelihood neither the Kathiv nor the Kare are original <laughs> to Solomon in that regard. And the Septuagint is more problematic than anything else. Um, but one of the suggested emendations that I think is probably likely is actually instead of excellent things uh, is actually the number 30 and uh, to actually put the number 30 in there which makes sense given that it's pretty common to outline what follows uh, as 30 different sayings and, uh, and there's parallel in Egyptian literature with 30 different sayings in different ways. So we can discuss that as well. It's really it's a it's one of the most difficult Old Testament text criticism exercises I've ever done in my life, and so um, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna finish by saying here's what I conclude, but don't put a gun to my head because I'm not gonna die on that hill when it comes to uh, what some of these manuscript issues are are dealing with. All right, but um, the Bible knowledge commentary is convinced that the reading there should be 30 sayings that it uh, explicitly says so in 2220. That the first portion includes 30 sayings. The outline of the comments is going to show how this section may be divided into 30 sayings. And it's a pretty standard uh, division, but it's not absolutely universal. There will be some tweaks to those 30, and some people outline the 30 slightly differently than than other people. If you have an NIV Bible, if you have... um, there's, there's other Bible translations that actually put pericope headings in there and actually number them, saying one, saying two, saying three, and we'll uh, number them one through thirty like that in your, in your Bible. Many scholars have maintained that these wise men borrowed from the Egyptian work uh, called the Instruction of Amen, and I don't know how to pronounce Amen, M-O-P, which has thirty sections. I'll have to get Glenn to pronounce, he's the Egyptologist around here, how to pronounce Amen, M-O-P. Um, that Egyptian work does have 30 sections, but they're 30 long sections, not 30 uh, verses, not 30 sayings, 30 long sections. And the parallel is not as clear as the liberals try to make it. Um, anyway, I'm skeptical. And it's, it, it's uh, Solomon was the wisest man of his day, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at what the Scripture says. And so if this Amen Opie guy was, if he was also a wise guy, that's great. He was not as wise as Solomon, and he undoubtedly consulted with Solomon for his wisdom if in fact they ever overlapped. Uh, There are some that date Amen Opie two centuries before uh, Solomon, and some that date him five centuries after Solomon. There's a broad range for how do you date Amen Opie. And, uh, and all the experts, all the Egyptologists, and, and those guys are arguing with themselves, and so I'm not going to get in the middle of that. I'm just going to preach the Bible as far as that goes. Anyway, the date is uh, di- disputed, and um, I'll let that go. Yeah, there are similarities, but there's also broad differences. And I think the Bible knowledge commentary is pretty fair to uh, to lay that out there. All right, enough of that. 
The record in 1 Kings is very useful for relating this section to Solomon's experience. Um, and again, I just hope we, we can relax over the issue because we, we began this book, Proverbs 1.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, right? And uh, we get this idea, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, and we think that everything else in the book has to be his because of that heading, not the case, all right? Not the case. It's a heading for the whole book. These are Solomon's Proverbs as far as it goes, whether he wrote them or whether he collected them or whether he edited them or whether he embellished upon them. Maybe he took some wisdom from Egypt or or Babylon or wherever else and then he adapted it because he has the truth from God. He has the, and this is going to be the purpose that when you're learning wisdom, you're not just getting secular tips for earthly life. You have a fear of the Lord that shapes your very walk before him. So don't be distracted by the fact that it's introduced there with the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David. And then you would have to ask yourself, well, why then in chapter 10 does it reintroduce the Proverbs of Solomon? Okay? It grabs our attention. We say, ah, all right, this is a different collection. We have multiple Solomonic collections and they've been uh, compiled and they've been ordered and they've been put in this way. Somebody made the choice to put chapters 1 through 9 in front of chapters 10 through 22, okay, or 10 through 24. Somebody made that choice. Somebody else made that choice to attach chapters 25 through 31 after chapter 24. Why didn't they put it in a different order? Why didn't they put 1 through 9 at the end? Okay, they didn't. This is the order we have it now. This is the order that's canonized. This is the order that has been in place since at least the time of Jesus and at least two centuries prior. Because this is the order the chapters are actually three centuries prior because the Septuagint translated these 31 chapters in this order. All right. I hope this is useful. If you have any questions on this we can discuss it over potlucks or whatever. Just after church sometime. It's like we, we, we need to have the same discussion with Psalms. You know, Psalm 1 through Psalm 150, they weren't written in that order. Somebody put them in that order. Somebody put them in five different books of Psalms. And, uh, and we're fine with that. That doesn't, that's not an issue for inspiration or canonicity. We, uh, we're, we're great with, uh, with all of these elements. So let's look at the record in 1 Kings 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 34, and then we also probably ought to look at some things in chapter 10, just as an illustration, when the Queen of Sheba shows up. First Kings chapter 4. Now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Remember, David was a man of war, and David conquered his enemies, and David established that there was peace on the frontier, that the borders were stable, the borders were, uh, there was no warfare between Israel and any neighbor, that there was peace between Israel and every neighbor because all the neighbors were tired of getting whooped up on by David, all right? So there was peace. And then uh, Solomon gets to enjoy a time of peace that David's warfare produced, including tribute which is what happens when a a neighboring country wants to stay friendly. And uh, so they offer tribute to 
to ensure good relations. And Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. Whatever a core is. It's good in Scrabble, by the way. You can play K-O-R. It's a great Scrabble word. 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, fattened owl. For he had dominion over everything west of the river. That's the Euphrates River. Everything west. Including territory he didn't directly rule, but they were subject to him because of David's warfare. They would bring tribute. From Tifshah even to Gaza, over all the kings west of the river, he had peace on all sides around him. At least this is early in his life. Later on, when he turns to idolatry, they're going to start rebelling and they're going to start causing problems. So um, Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and fig tree. From Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. He had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, 12,000 horsemen. Those deputies provided for King Solomon and all who came to King Solomon's table, each in his month, they left nothing lacking. So this shows a tremendous wealth and this shows the, the uh, uh, capacity, the military capacity, the secular capacity and all the rest. They brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to the place where it should be, each according to his charge. And, and these are good numbers to work with, and these are good numbers to, to understand, to put on a, on a calendar, to put on a, a, particularly when you're doing population studies in different eras of Old Testament history. Uh, 1000 BC is a great benchmark. And when you see that, you know, this is a pinnacle, this is the largest. David didn't have quite this size because he was building up to this size. And the ones after Solomon didn't have this size. I think it helps to solve some of the puzzles too for Moses and, and Joshua. What size armies did they lead when, uh, when Israel was brought out of Egypt? And uh, why are the lower numbers more reliable than the larger numbers that, uh, that folks tend to go with? Anyway, let's get down to the wisdom now. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind. Those are three different issues. Wisdom is one thing, discernment is something else, and then breadth of mind, flexibility in thinking. Breadth of mind, or I think it's lave or heart there. We're going to talk, yeah, it's levav, lave for heart. We're going to discuss this. Wisdom, understanding, and uh, the heart, uh, applying your mind, applying your heart to all the wisdom that God supplies. Like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed all the wisdom of the sons of the east, Remember Job was noteworthy for being the wisest, being the, uh, the mightiest of the, of the kings of the east. And then uh, the wisdom of Egypt. So uh, this Amen Opie guy that all the liberals are jazzed with to think that, that Solomon just ripped him off. Uh, Solomon didn't rip him off. If anything, they ripped him off. And, uh, but that's the nature of wisdom is that you can consult with other wise men and pool your wisdom and, and both walk away benefited from the process. For he is wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. Uh, some of those guys we know because they're authors of, of different psalms in the book of Psalms. Then uh, his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. So this, this has to impact what we understand. It should not be a problem for us 
that he's going to be a collector of wisdom. Then when he says these are the sayings of the wise and he compiles them together into a top 30 list and he bequeaths them upon the one particular student that he's focused on in this section, that shouldn't shock us at all. That he, he compared, that he compiled this sayings of the wise uh, compendium and bequeathed it to his, uh, his heir, his protege. His fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 Proverbs. I didn't count the book of Proverbs, but it's in the hundreds, it's not in the thousands. Even if you can count from 1-1 to the end of chapter 31, you, you, you can't find 3,000 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. Okay, At most you just have a few hundred Proverbs in those 31 chapters of our book of Proverbs. So he had scads of Proverbs that were not canonized, that were not, they did not belong, were not inspired by the Holy Spirit to go into the canon of Scripture. They were still wise, they were still, you know, maybe they were early to bed, early to wise, you know, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, or maybe they were lefty-loosey, righty-tighty, or I mean just anything like that, these little Proverbs that are helpful in, in daily life, but they don't belong in the Bible. In any event, so, uh, he spoke 3,000 of them. His songs were 1,005. That's an interesting number. Uh, you could just round it off to 1,000, but 1,005 is rather specific. And uh, we know about Song of Solomon. We know about two different Proverbs that are, that are, are two different Psalms in the, in the book of Psalms. Okay? We don't know about the other 1,002. They weren't preserved for us in the canon. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows in the, uh, in the wall. So um, his wisdom was not just spiritual, but it encompassed all kinds of secular applications. He spoke of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So as they're coming into town, these famous names that we were told about, these Egyptians, these men of the East, uh, the Queen of Sheba that comes in chapter 10, these other people that come from nearby and near and far, um, when they arrive, are they arriving empty-handed? <laughs> I would hope not. I would expect not. Um, you don't appear before the king empty-handed. How, you know, what, a, what an insult. Okay? So they're going to come with treasure, they're going to come with wealth, they're going to come with, uh, with uh, tribute, they're going to come with gifts. They're going to honor Solomon uh, in some degree, commensurate it with how they esteem him. And uh, you don't want to insult him by saying, you know, we think you're worth 10 bucks. They're going to they're bring a lot. And then what kind of literature do you think they're going to bless him with? Okay, They're not going to hand him comic books. They're not going to hand him, um, you know, works of fiction or some. They're going to they're gonna bring the wisdom literature from their own cultures. They're going to bring uh, things that they think he's going to be interested in, right? He's a wise guy. He's going to like wisdom. He's a poet. He's going to like poetry. You know, he's a songwriter. He's going to like songs, okay? Um, he's also going to like women. I expect they were, you know, where did he find the thousand women? Okay? They weren't all native Jewish girls from Jerusalem. In fact, I think very few of them were. We know that he married the daughter of Pharaoh and we know that there were other foreign women, Ammonite and Moabite women. I suspect that they brought girls with them and they got added to Solomon's collection. So men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from the kings of the earth who had heard 
of His wisdom. And so it's very biblical, it's very natural, it's not, I'm not reading in the text or eisegeting, I'm not, it's not a stretch that when Solomon says these are the sayings of the wise, that the, this is what he's collected, the, the wise plural, okay, the plural wise guys, that these are the sayings of the wise, that this is what he has done to, to collect a compendium of these, of these sayings. Now let's look at chapter 10. Because here's a for instance, here's an example, a famous one. When the Queen of Sheba, uh, usually it's thought of or known to be on the coast of Africa, south of the Red Sea, uh, today maybe we would say Ethiopia, modern day Ethiopia. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she's, this, is, this is significant because I think a lot of the other wise guys were just showing up for secular reasons. All the other wise guys were showing up, Egypt and the East and these other places, you know, they want to get secular wisdom, how to be a better king, how to run a better economy, how to uh, animals and plants and whatever else. But she is specifically focused on the Lord, on Yahweh, that uh, heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. So she came to test him with difficult questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue, with camels carrying spices, with very much gold and precious stones. All right? There's a purpose for her bringing all that. It's to honor Solomon. Uh, it's not, she's not, you know, her bags will be empty for the return trip. <laughs> okay? She's not taking that back to Sheba with her. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. And Solomon answered all her questions. And so I think the name of the Lord is highlighted, what's in her heart is highlighted, and uh, he was able to answer all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king which he did not explain to her. So there's a tremendous intimacy here between Solomon and this queen. There's a tremendous uh, connection that, that gets made between the two of them. Unfortunately, you know, it's a connection he never had with any of his wives, as, as far as we know. So when the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters, their attire, his cupbearers, his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, I mean, just everything is impressive. Like, wow. Okay? Now, does that matter today? Are we impressing people today? with our architecture, with our building, with our music program, with all the other uh, trappings, with the, the, um, you know, the, uh, the wardrobe. Uh, when, the, when the deacons come up front to serve communion, are we dazzled by the, the cut of their, their suits? And the, okay? No. No, no. But understand, our stewardship is not Israel's stewardship. And there was a time and a place for this, and there will be again. This is all shadow typology looking forward to the coming glory of Jesus Christ. And, and, and between David and Solomon we have two sons, a father and a son there, that are portraying a man of war that conquers and a man of peace that rules with wisdom. Both, you combine both of those and you've got Jesus in the millennial kingdom. And of course it's going to be glorious. And of course it's going to be impressive. And of course a Gentile king, or queen in this case, a Gentile sovereign is going to look at that and be absolutely overwhelmed. Because there's not a Gentile nation on the face of the earth that can match Solomon in, in, in anything. Secular wisdom, spiritual wisdom, earthly wealth, architecture. 
even the way his waiters dress. The attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers, his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was, there was no more spirit in her. It's kind of idiomatic, but I mean, you can be just gobsmacked. You can be just left um, at a loss. So she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports. It's just too good to be true. How could this possibly be? How could a man like this walk this earth? Until I came and my eyes had seen it. Behold, the half was not told me. This is an idiom that shows up in some of our hymns, you know, when we talk about heaven and the half has never been told. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants. This is Asherah, happiness. How Asherah, how happy are your men. How happy are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. I mean, just think about it. You know, if you're a, if you're a waiter, where, where's the, it's the best place in the world to be a waiter? Think about the, the wisdom you're going to hear while you're filling goblets and, and replacing, clearing dirty plates and all the rest. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne. And this is now Barak, it's a different blessing there. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. It's always a blessing when your president, when your governor, when your mayor, when your whoever, when your political leader identifies that they are a tool in the hands of, of God, that they are servants, that they are stewards in governmental functions under the laws of divine establishment. She gave to the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. Never again did such an abundance of spices come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which <clears throat> brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir a great number of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almug trees supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. Such almug trees have not come in again, nor have they been seen since to this day. And King Solomon gave to, queen, to the queen of Sheba all her desire which she requested besides what he gave her according to all his royal bounty. Then she turned and went to her own land together with her servants. So there's the example of it there. There's a little bit more at the end of the chapter when you get down to verses 23 through 25. <clears throat> Unless you want to read more of this. This is all just temporal wealth and, and uh, statistics related to this. <clears throat> the weight of gold which came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. No connection to the mark of the beast, no connection to 666. Total coincidence as far as I'm concerned. Um, nevertheless, people have written books. <laughs> All right. So this is what Solomon has done and what he has built and, and it's awesome. It is absolutely in human terms Nothing quite like this. And I suspect, I don't know, what would David have thought if he'd have seen all this? You know? I don't know. It's probably good that David was gone and didn't see this. 
All right. The summary statement. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. So when you're looking at the first millennium B.C., when you're looking at that hinge between the first millennium and the second millennium, in other words, the late Bronze Age, uh, early Iron Age, when you're, when you're looking at this stage of, of uh, world history in the, in the ancient Near East, and all the rest of the world wants to celebrate the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, all the rest of world history, Solomon was the pinnacle. And that's not an accident. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. And they brought every man his gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And it gets spelled out there. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. I'm I'm trying to be careful. I don't want to get to the end because you know what happens when you get to the end of chapter 10? Chapter 11. Bad news for Solomon. Okay. Foreign wives, idolatry, great evil. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen. You know, it's one thing to accumulate that kind of military might, but then you got to feed them, you got to pay them, you got to house them, you got, I mean, it's an ongoing expense. Do you still believe that, uh, that uh, Joshua led an army of 600,000 troops? Anyway, we're going we're gonna to study that. Uh, as we work our way through the Pentateuch, uh, after Genesis comes Exodus, and then those numbers of the tribes and as they came forth. And uh, hopefully we'll have the, the text-critical skills to address it. And hopefully by then, Titus Kennedy will finally have his book written, because I've been ripping him off for, for 10 years now, and I, I need him to get that book in print. All right. Stationed them in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem, and he made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowland. Also Solomon's import of horses. All right. And then, yes, he loved many foreign women along with the daughters of Pharaoh. And uh, the yeah, the daughter of Pharaoh. I think that was his first wife. That was the first one mentioned. And uh, and then a thousand more after that. And the chapter gets ugly. All right. Not important for today. So collecting this wisdom. Point five. The introduction of this section reminds us of the introduction of Proverbs itself. In fact, 17 through 21, we got these five verses here, and it's 17, 18, 19, 20, 20 yeah, five verses here in uh, 17 through 21, and it's reminiscent of how the book itself was introduced in Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The introduction to this section reminds us of the introduction of Proverbs itself. So let's remind ourselves of that. In a lot of ways, um, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 serves as a prescript not only to chapters 1 through 9 with the parental wisdom component, but really to the entire canon, to the entire collection of canonized uh, book of Proverbs. The proverb is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And we have purpose clauses. It starts with purpose clauses. To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, 
knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so we have seven verses there at the beginning of the book of Proverbs that establish, uh, as it were, a foundation or establish uh, an introduction to kind of lay out the course of, hey, this is, you, you're going to like this, okay? You need this. Uh, it's going to form a goad for, for why you're going to spend the rest of your life just dwelling in, the, in these Proverbs. And then verse 8, hear my son, and it moves on. And, and you can really take the parental wisdom section and start it there with, with chapter 1 and verse 8. Likewise with the sayings of the wise. The sayings of the wise really don't start till verse 22. The sayings of the wise, saying number one of the 30 sayings is verses, is verse, starts with verse 22. Okay? But the introduction to the section contains these five verses here. And it's introducing it in a way to show purpose clauses, to show motivation, to show uh, the reason why these have been compiled and how you will benefit from, from embracing them. And, uh, and you'll see that here. Let me stretch this out. If I can get it all on one. Pretty close. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you that they may be ready on your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you or those who sent you, them who sent you, those guys. <laughs> All right. So that, again, that's an introduction and that sets the table for the 30 sayings that follow. It's, it serves to, to show the purpose, the benefit, uh, to, to gin up the excitement, to, to get the reader um, just uh, on board with embracing this and recognizing, yes, this is something that I need. This is something that's going to benefit me. <clears throat> the first of the 30 sayings is verses 22 and 23 there. All right. So let's start. We'll start with the introduction and we only have 17 minutes remaining, but we'll start with this. All right, the introduction begins with an inclined ear. The inclined ear expresses an eagerness. The introduction to the sayings of wisdom begins with incline your ear and then hear. So be eager to hear and then hear. And then set your heart on what you hear. The inclined ear expresses an eagerness. It begins with an attitude, the humble, teachable attitude that's necessary for all Bible doctrine when it comes to it. When it comes to uh, a born-again believer that's spiritually alive, uh, without this attitude of, of eagerness, then um, you end up with a diminished, uh, a diminished blessing from the Word of God that you do listen to. <clears throat> In other words, you can hear with, with, um, out of a sense of duty, you're still hearing. You can hear out of a sense of um, guilt, like, well, there's consequences if I don't. 
<laughs> or you can hear uh, without with a less than um, you know craving when the Bible, you're not panting as a deer pants for the water brook, okay? Uh, you're just there out of routine. You're there out of duty. You're there out of um, expectation. Without the eagerness, okay? It's gonna it's gonna diminish what you can take in, and I think that's clear. All right. So the inclined ear expresses an eagerness. It is used of believers eager to learn the word of God, and that's the case that we have here. It's used of believers eager to hear the Word of God. You're on the edge of your seat. Uh, the inclined ear means you're turning it that direction. You're not turning it the other direction. Okay, You're not closing your ears. You're not sticking your fingers in your ears. That you are positioning yourself better to hear. If there's something that grabs your attention, you're like, what was that you say? You know, that's, that's expressing an eagerness. It is used of believers eager to learn the Word of God. And we'll walk through these passages. I think they're useful. But it also is used whoops, it is also used in appeals to God in prayer. There are several times, in fact more often than the first example when somebody in prayer is telling God incline your ear and hear my call, hear my prayer. Somebody in prayer is telling God are you paying attention? Listen to me. <laughs> right? Opening up your prayer. I mean, would we do this? We should start. We tend to open up our prayers with, uh, you know, dear Heavenly Father, or wh- whatever expression you use, but maybe we can start adapting phrases like this. Maybe we can even teach ourselves the, the Hebrew imperative of incline your ear and say, God, are you listening to me? Because we're going to find that over and over again throughout the Scriptures. Okay? So stay tuned. We're going to get to that. But for today, the inclined ear is an expression of eagerness. It is used of believers that are eager to learn the Word of God. And it's not limited to uh, Proverbs. It's actually earlier than Proverbs. It's uh, first seen throughout the Psalms. I think this eagerness is something that Solomon learned from his father. David had a ready ear. David was eager to hear the Word of God. Conveying that to his son Solomon. Even uh, in Psalm 45, we talked about Psalm 45 a while back. Um, This is um, celebrating a a royal wedding. This is celebrating how awesome it's to be to to be the one selected to be married to the king. And in um, Israel's history, uh, we know all the king's names from David down to, Ze- uh, to uh, Zedekiah. We know a handful of the queen's names, uh, mostly because when their son becomes king we, th- we then learn his mother's name. Um, but we didn't see those names mentioned prior to that. So when the king had multiple wives, we don't know who the other contenders might have been uh, until the one king becomes, the son becomes king, and then we learn who his mother was. That, that tends to be the pattern throughout the book of First and Second Kings. But it's great to be selected to be the queen. And that's true historically, that's true biblically, and that's true eschatologically. And as we all can attest to, the fact that we are all the bride of Christ. And so we are thrilled that when Jesus conquers and when Jesus takes his throne, 
on the, his seat on the throne of David in Jerusalem <clears throat> when he reigns for the millennial kingdom, we are, are right there with him. That we, we are the bride. <clears throat> so in a sense, even though the church is a mystery and the church is not revealed in the Old Testament, we in the New Testament can look back to Psalm 45 and appreciate the doctrine that's contained here and uh, we have a unique perspective to, uh, to work our way through here. Now, it starts, <coughs> I'm losing my voice, it starts, my heart overflows with a good theme, I address my verses to the king, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Okay? This is a masculine of the sons of Korah, David didn't write this, but the idea of who this queen is that's going to be presented here to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And there's one thing to be an eager writer, an eager singer, an eager composer, but how can you be a composer if you're not first a listener? How can you write something if you don't first have an ear to hear? We're going to get to that. All right. You are fairer than the sons of men. In other words, you're the most handsome human being to walk this earth. Grace is poured out upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty. And this is one of the fun ones. In fact, so many of the Psalms, we, we read this in two ways. We read this as it originally was written with, with David as the primary object, but then we also read it prophetically. We can read it with the understanding that Jesus Christ is the, is the fulfillment of this. Jesus Christ is the one who's fairer than 10,000 and we sing those hymns. So gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and in your majesty. And in your majesty ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. So he has victory. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Of course, the Davidic throne is forever and ever, but it's going to be the greater son of David that sits on that throne forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And it's on this basis, we, as we read this, that we understand we have these parallels between David's immediate fulfillment and what is still waiting a millennial fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Some of this sound familiar to you? You know, much of this shows up in the New Testament. Much of this shows up in the book of Hebrews. Okay? And so we have a theological basis for doing what we're doing this morning in seeing the person of Jesus Christ more even than seeing the... Um, the literal uh, understanding of David and its historic application. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes of cassia. Out of the ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Is this the queen of Sheba showing up with treasure for Solomon? No, no, this is a presentation of his bride. The presentation of his queen. In other words, we can see ourselves in this, in the millennial kingdom once we are resurrected and face to face with Jesus Christ. 
Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Here's our phrase, incline your ear. The, the best thing about being the bride of Christ, we get to hear everything He says. <laughs> you know? You think the best thing about being the bride of Christ is, is what? The pretty dresses, the jewels, the, the feasts, the food, the, you know, the, the fact that you have attendants, you have virgin daughters that are your attendants that, that serve you. All of the trappings, all of the glory, all of the treasure, all of the, <clears throat> you know, sleeping in the bed with a king every night. All that stuff, all of that gets pushed off to the side. You get to incline your ear and hear everything the king speaks. What a, what a blessing. Give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Bow down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. You know, all the runners-up that, uh, that weren't selected, they're going to want to become your attendants. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She'll be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions who follow her, will be brought to you. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. You know. What happened to all those other virgins that after Xerxes, you know, they had the audition with Xerxes there or in, the, in the book of, of uh, Esther, and then Esther was, had her audition and then she was selected. Um, anyway. The things you think about when you realize our modern world is so different from, <laughs> from those days gone by. All right. Real quickly then as I run out of time, Psalm 49.4. Psalm 49 is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, about, uh, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth will speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. So he's not only composing wisdom, he is listening. We should have inclined ears for um, the Word of God. All believers should. Listen, Psalm 78, a masculine of Asaph. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will utter my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. The word parable there is our mashal. It's our word for proverb. I will open my mouth in a proverb. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. Eagerness for the Word of God. Alright, Proverbs 2.2 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom incline your heart to understanding. This is parental wisdom. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. So this kind of combines. There's the the ear inclination and a heart inclination. Both put in poetic parallel. Proverbs 4.20 My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your sight. In other words, don't just in one ear and out the other. Have your inclined ear so that you're taking everything in 
And then you're going to live it out. You're, going to, you're not going to let them depart. You're going to keep them with you. <clears throat> my son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Ah, and then the regret at the end of your life when you don't do this. Here's the man that got wrapped up in sexual promiscuity and now he's paying a price. He's got physical um, consequences. He's got soul damage that he's done. And he says, oh, he groans at his final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction. My heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. The consequence when you're lackadaisical about your spiritual appetite. These are the things I'm going to be stressing. And between now and the end of the year, I'm, you're going to see it in newsletters, you're going to hear it in pulpit messages, there's going to be a... Um, God is giving us a feast in the 2022 through the Bible year. Um, man. And if you're sitting there wondering, eh, man, pray about it. Ask yourself. Ask the Lord. Lord, my appetite needs, needs to be ramped up. Um, what's it going to take? You know, What's it going to take? Because there's going to be doctrine going forth. We're going to have seven sessions a week. We're going to have four sessions on Sunday. Can I come to the early morning sessions? Can I come to two sessions in the Sunday morning and stay? And two, two sessions in the afternoon? Man, that's a lot. That's a lot. There's probably, I mean, I know uh, probably. I know for a fact there are Christians who think I'm insane. <laughs> All right? And, and Christians will think you're insane. Nobody needs that much. What are you, a fanatic? Who needs that much church? I tell you, I do. And if our nation is going the direction I think it's going, we all do. That, uh, you know, seven times a week and 365 times a year, and we're only doing it for one year. Think about it. Think about, you can tell your kids and your grandkids that, you know what we did back in 2022? I went to church and heard 365 messages in 2022. So anyway, I'm trying to get gin up the, 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 uh, this, the inclined ear. I'm trying to, to illustrate the imperative. The, the, the Bible commands us to incline our ear. Seven times in Revelation, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit communicates to the local churches. So be in prayer about it. And if, uh, you know, if you decide that uh, you've got a once a week appetite and, uh, and that's, that's adequate, then uh, you don't have to defend that to me. You've got to stand before the Lord. Because and, and, uh, remember, to whom much is given shall much be required. And of, of whom they've entrusted much, that much more. Anyway. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for truth. And I do pray for your hand of blessing as we continue to study Proverbs. And then as we conclude this year and move on to this amazing, amazing course. Father, we're, we're, we're already anticipating um, not only the abundant blessings of study, but then the, the increased testing that comes with it. So Father, um, our, suit us up, prepare us, and uh, we're, we're thrilled to think of what you might be doing. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.